guys, this is Jill, and welcome back to the Sports Ethos Kings podcast. Light the beam. Light the beam. All right, so we have a returning guest again. Um, most of you know him as Will Z Stats, but Will Zimmerly's back with us today. And so thank you, Will, for joining me again. It's always nice to have you on. Yes, yeah, nice to be back. Thanks, Jill. And so I know um, you and your wife were at the game last night. So just for anybody that wasn't there, if you kind of want to share some atmospheric uh, things that you picked up on, just how much fun was it? And I know you were in some clips, too, of some of the um, you guys were in clips, high fiving and stuff uh, in some of the replays and stuff and the highlight reels. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, we were out there high-fiving strangers, which is just always a great environment to be a part of when you're just around a good group of people, especially when your seats just happen to be in that good, solid group. Um, It was electric. There was, I know Dew said it on Night Chat last night, uh, where the first standing ovation was in like the first or second quarter. When does that happen in a November game for any other team? And there were so many times where everyone just got into like crouch mode, two to three, and there was a little bit of momentum. It just was an atmosphere where everyone was so excited. And for the Kings to play the way that they did and give the fans the ability to just explode in that way, it was just so perfect. It was such a fun game. Yeah, it it very much reminded me of when I was younger. And the Arco days of during, you know, their anytime you see them on at home, it's and and people are there, that place is is going crazy. So it's cool to see that version at Golden One because we always kind of wondered what would it sound like um, in that arena, you know, when it happened, just because, you know, design wise, you just never know. And um, when you go to other places, it, it's not like that. And so it was really cool to see that here. And then even to have uh, the Pacers coach, Rick Carlisle, have that comment post game of I didn't have my guys ready for what was coming at them uh, was cool to see. And then I think it was after the Suns game that Aiton was saying that they were doing like sign language and different stuff. They were trying to find ways to communicate with each other just because of of how loud it was. And so, again, like all those things remind me of when I was younger. So I love for people who might not have you know, got to experience that um, growing up. Cause I know we have so big age differences of, of, you know, a fan base out there um, of who has gotten to experience what, but for the people that never got to see that stuff, I love that they're getting to see it and experience it at now. And that's one thing about this place is we celebrate every win. Like it's, you know, you just don't know. And so it's, you know, people can make fun of us of they, you know, they celebrate every win like a championship. Well, when you've only seen eight seasons of 500 basketball, you know, wins mean that much to you when you get to see them. So, yeah, we're going to have fun with cool. it. Why right, not just enjoy, why not have fun enjoy with sports, every moment? Right. Yes. Yeah, that's the point of them. So we're going. And, and everyone and, you know, I've, I've seen it talked about, too, on pods and Twitter and everything else is. um well, we don't know about long-term or what's going to happen two years from now. Exactly why you should be enjoying every moment mm-hmm. now. I mean, right? It's 
these things are supposed to be fun. So I love that people are excited and, um, and the place is selling out. And so it's a sleeping giant. We've always said when it, when it's ready, like we're here. And so it was even cool to hear Kevin Herter post game yesterday saying that he was sitting on the bench talking to Keegan and explaining to him, like, this is not normal. Like it might be normal here, but this is not normal anywhere else. And he came from a place in Atlanta where, you know, they got loud in the playoffs, but it wasn't always, you know, it wasn't always a full place because they have so many teams and, and all that kind of stuff. And so you can see him even appreciating it and guys like Sabonis and saying, we really want to have that home court advantage now and take advantage of the energy that's coming in here and help just with your games at home and you're halfway there to what you're trying to do. Yeah. And that's important for long-term success too, because that's going to spread the, if we can keep it up and kind of get that reputation, what player wouldn't want to play in front of a home crowd that's as excited right? as this. So even this offense and things like of, of what yeah. they're building, um, mm-hmm. you, and even when they, I was rewatched the, the third and fourth quarter a couple times and even seeing guys like Alex Len and Holmes who haven't, you know, really got to play a lot. I mean, they're some of the first people on their feet celebrating all this stuff that it just, you know, I mean, that you're not seeing players sulking, you know, while they're putting on this, you know, masterpiece essentially out there. Um, you're seeing everybody just happy for each other. Same with Delhi. Like he's always one of the first people off. And one of the first ones giving high fives during timeouts and things like that. It's just really cool to see that everyone is seemingly bought in and genuinely happy for each other. And they're, they're enjoying themselves and, and what's happening currently. That's been one of my favorite things of the season so far, I think is just seeing the team really come together, the team and the coaches, not just the players, everyone just wants to succeed and they've put their egos to the side and it really is reminiscent of the earlier warrior days. Um, and just Mike Brown has been able to build this environment so quickly too, with just everyone doing be done for the team to win. Yeah. And I think even you can see that in a guy like Metu. And I know, um, you know, I said this on Twitter yesterday. It was like, I've never been so happy to be wrong about an early take that, I wasn't sure if he could be a guy that would buy in. Like I just hadn't seen that part of Metu of him adjusting. I don't even want to say like reeling it in, but like he always kind of had that green light, like so many under Walton where it was just kind of wild. But Brown has really like, I saw someone say kind of uh, brought in the rogue Metu and like have him, you know, he's playing within a style He's, we maybe get one three-point shot, like if not anything more. And moving from the power forward to the center position seems to, you know, really helped his game essentially too of, of adjusting that way and having a guy like Lyles out there shooting more threes where Metu's at the rim getting rebounds. Like I think he out-rebounded every pacer yesterday and he, he came off the bench. Um, oh, and his offensive rebounds last night were yeah, huge. Yeah, were huge. And so... It's nice to see guys that I wasn't sure that were capable of doing what they're doing. And we're not even saying they're perfect or it's necessarily long-term. I have no idea, but 
he's doing enough to what you need right now. And kudos to him and Brown and all those guys for figuring it out, the coaching staff. Um, but Metu for for buying in and understanding, you know, his role and limits and and what exactly is needed of him to help this team su- to succeed. And I know I got one of the comments yesterday was, you know, I'm not sure if he's playing that well. It's more Monk helping him. Well, you could say the same thing about Sabonis and everybody else. Like Sabonis puts people in really good positions, but it's still on that other player to finish it, right? And to and to be in the right position that Monk can help them, you know, finish it and succeed in doing that. And Metu's making the cuts. He's he's catching the lobs. We're seeing him change hands in midair and and finishing um, you know, the lob slams and the alley oops and things like that. And so even the Terrence Davises. So it's just cool to see new faces kind of that you didn't see excel under previous regimes now buying in and and getting seemingly getting the best versions of themselves under Mike Brown. Yeah, and I think with Metu especially, I know I thought once his shot starts falling, he's going to be so good. And it kind of his development being reliant on that three-pointer finally connecting his shot looked good. So it was kind of in my mind, a matter of time, but he's shooting 18% from three this year, which is pretty much a career low since he started shooting threes and he's having the best year of his career. So he's completely transformed. Like you were saying, how he can impact the game. And instead of being a stretch four, he's now this athletic five that can defend these there are some times where he he could do a little bit more, but uh, I mean, he for a backup center, he's been extremely helpful. And for him to make that adjustment to his game, I think just shows again how much Mike Brown can influence everyone on the team. Yep, hundred percent. All right, so to get into um, some of the stat stuff that that you specialize in that that we love, I think it was was it after. Which game was it after that we were talking about Barnes on Twitter? Uh, oh, was, uh, was the, it the Suns game? It was, was it yeah. Phoenix? Okay, so I think I'd put it out to you. Uh, what's what's the Kings record when we get a Barnes kind of show up and a Barnes, you know, sleeper, essentially? And so I will let you take it away on, on what you were able to find out. So this yeah, is the Barnes so I- effect. The Barnes effect, and it's becoming clearer and clearer that a lot of people have thrown, there's a lot of stuff going around. Um, But what I did is looked at his stats and wins and in losses and just compared the the numbers and what he's doing. And so in wins updated after last night's game, he's averaging 16.8 points. 4.7, 4.7, no, 5.9 rebounds, 2.5 assists, only one turnover, and shooting 54% from the field, 34% from three, and 92% from the free throw line. So in losses, it's down to 8.8 points, 4.9 rebounds, 1.3 assists, 1.2 turnovers, so a little bit more. And shooting just is a drastic drop off 38% from the field, 15 from three and 75 from the free throw line. So his production pretty much drops in half in losses compared to wins. And I don't know if it's an aggression thing or why 
his field goals are different too. In wins, he's shooting 9.1 field goals. And in losses, he's at 7.6, which doesn't seem like that big of a difference, but there's only so many shots to go around. Uh, and if it's showing that the Kings are better when he shoots more, then you should shoot more. Well, even but, that, uh, if you pair, if you pair like say two less shots and then mm-hmm. maybe three, three, four misses from the line and the Kings aren't losing by that much that can make that can make a difference. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's just because the team is so talented when you have so many players that can score, it's hard to kind of divvy up those shots. I know James Ham has said that he'd love to see Sabonis shoot more too. There's probably four or five guys on this team that you could say, we'd like you to shoot more and just the shots aren't there. So they have to get split up somehow. Yeah. And, and I'll say even, even to the, the Barnes point, it's, we've seen if you have Barnes and Keegan struggling together, that makes it Mm -hmm. even worse when you have two starters that, that are, that are struggling. And even some of those losses, you had the bench kind of, you know, um, you had Herder and the bench not shooting as well. The three, the three point shot wasn't falling like it was falling. And so you've heard them talk about too, where you have to show it on the defensive end to, to, to recoup for that offense. But I do think I did find a, um, from 2021, uh, a podcast that Damien and I did together. And we had the same thing that it was in wins. Barnes was there and losses Barnes wasn't. So I don't know what it is, but it's, I mean, we see this trend all the time that that his spot is critical in this team getting wins to losses. I mean, it's, it's crazy record wise, how, how it, regardless of the roster that he kind of seems to be a key piece that you might not think of, but seems to show at least in the, in the, the wins and loss record. Yeah, so hopefully you can just get a good rhythm going and just kind of keep up the strong play. Uh, and if he doesn't, like you said, with him and Keegan, as long as really one of them is hitting, they don't even have to be great, just be kind of at least good. As long as one of them is doing that, then I think this team, especially the starting unit, is going to be one of the better ones in the t- in the uh, in the league. Yeah, I mean, and he still, at least when you watch, he still looks like a guy that when you need a bucket, you that he can do his slow-mo barns and and get to the rim, you know, or get to the foul line, that he still has that capability. So I love seeing him yesterday come out aggressive. And so to just keep seeing that. But also, you know, everybody noticed. Fox wasn't aggressive, but like you said, with him not being aggressive, it came with Barnes being aggressive. We saw Point Sabonis out there, you know, leading mm-hmm. things. And so I do think, like we were saying, we have to keep in mind that when you have one person being more that it might, you know, then affect the others. And in those first, what, 16 games, we had seemingly crazy aggressive Fox, um, you know, compared to you know, the last couple games. So those are um, things to, to keep an eye on, but yeah, whatever it is about Barnes, just stay on, stay on the first side and, exactly. and, and keep it going. Cause when he's there and Murray does just enough, 
this team is blowing people out. And we know Mm -hmm. that's not always going to be the case, but it seems to be just enough. Yeah. And with Keegan, it's, it's, I don't want to say excites me that he's not doing well, but it, the idea and concept that the Kings are doing so well with Keegan struggling, they have so much room for internal improvement that they haven't had in years before. I tweeted it out a few games ago. And I think after the Suns game, how last year we were all just saying, is it December 15th yet? Like, we need to trade someone and there's no real need. Some trades would be nice. There's still pieces that could be brought in, but there's so much that can be done with the roster that we have already and ways that we can improve, which is just so exciting. And Keegan yeah, I think being there's the main not- one. Yeah, there's not a desperation, right? Like that mm-hmm. it's like we're already we're already uh, like at DEFCON 9, like we we need yep. to do something. It's to me it's even in these losses you're seeing the weaker points that he can target. To where before it was like you just need everything, right? Like just go get mm-hmm. more talent, go get all this. I feel like right now Monty can at least be strategic and yes, he's always going to try and add talent and all that stuff. But if that you know, we know that doesn't always present itself. And so there are lanes where I think that we're seeing that just add a little piece here or, you know, just a little piece that maybe, right, like the blocking center. If you can, if it's mm-hmm. not going to be um, Nemias, like if you're going to keep him down at the G League, depending, you know, what's going on. Um, you have met to right now, but if you want a little bit more, right, if because you're not seemingly throwing Len or Holmes or anybody else in there. Um, can, can you get someone, you know, in that, in that range, can you get another defensive wing? It doesn't have to be crazy, but is there someone that you can get that's maybe a little bit more polished than KZ, but that kind of, you know, that kind of archetype type thing, you know, I know people throughout Crowder and, and other things like that, but I do think that you can see like where, you know, um, weaker spots of this this team is that you can improve without, you know, needing necessarily the blockbuster type, um, type move. And, and I, to me, that's kind of what Monty did during the summer, right? Mm-hmm. He he added shooter scoring, playmaking, like he did that and they weren't necessarily the blockbuster moves that people thought they were, but in the grand scheme as a team, it fits and it meshes really well. So can he find, you know, a couple more guys that, that kind of fit in that that role like the rest of them do. Okay, so next up, um, I think we talked about this last episode you were here, was charges. And I know you mentioned that you had Davion um, at your, in your pin tweet as that he would lead the league at some point um, in charges. And I feel like that he has had a good amount since we last talked. So um, I'm excited to hear what you found about that. Yeah, so I was looking into... Um, it just felt like the Kings were taking more charges recently, which is something that they weren't doing very early on in the year, um, which was kind of a bummer because it was such a hot topic with the ringing of the bell. That was one of the things that they talked about with training camp is that they were trying to kind of put an emphasis on um, taking charges. Um, But in the last five games, they've taken six charges. So 
they've had one, at least one, every one of those games. And that might not seem like a big number having just six and five games. Um, but it actually is. So the, I think the Hornets, I'm pulling it up now, got away from me. Yeah. Uh, the heat lead the league in charges per game at 1.25. So that's exactly what the Kings have had in the last five games. So the Kings are taking charges recently with the best team in the league, which is crucial for them without that shot blocking ability. And it seems like Brown has put so much. We saw it with Terrence Davis. He wanted to coach him to be in that spot to take the charge. So for the players to respond and for us to see that trend starting to form is so important for the defense. And it's just little things like that that will add up and make this defense just continue to rise throughout the year. Yeah. And, and I'll go ahead and say this because in case in, there's anyone listening um, that did not happen to see the Suns game, what Will was, was referencing was there was a, a possession where Davis was out of position essentially or didn't rotate quick enough. Um, and it was wide open space. I think, I don't think he got a foul. I think it was, it led to a dunk, if I'm not mistaken. He got yeah, there late and, and it became a dunk. And so at the timeout, you saw Brown talking to Davis and then um, specifically say, okay, we'll stop our, you know, me explaining it to you and I'm just going to go show you. And he walked him over and literally said, I want you to stand right here. Maybe three, four plays, if that, after the timeout, literally the Suns rat ran the same exact play. Terrence Davis got in that exact spot that Brown told him to stand boom, led to a charge. So in case anybody missed it, that's that's what he was saying. But we literally saw the coaching in the timeout and the effect on the court literally right after. And I don't know when the last time that's ever happened. As a Kings fan watching that and seeing that and seeing, like you said, guys respond to it and take it in. And then um, Mike Brown was like pumping his fist uh, after it happened and Davis ran over and, you know, they gave high fives and stuff. And so it was just really cool to see that Again, you're seeing God, he's telling you these things for a reason and he believes you can do it. And I know Davis has said this before, like he's telling me this stuff because he he believes and knows I can do it. And it's up to me now to go out there and do it. And he did it and kudos to him. And so it's just nice to seeing them. They're, they're not tuning out anything he's saying. They're they're very much buying in and know and are seeing he knows what he's talking about. You're, you're seeing the results just seems so coachable which um i've done a little bit of i used to do track and field and did a little bit of coaching and the idea of having a coachable athlete is just such a good feeling where i know when i'm working out i like to work out and olympic lift and stuff and my coach will tell me something and i'm like i only want to hear that once and make the adjustment internally and just fix it then and there. I don't want to have to be told something multiple times. So being coachable as a player, especially with someone as detailed as Mike Brown, if you are taking that instruction that Brown's giving you and making the adjustment that quick, I mean, like you said, Brown was so excited. What other coaches 
like dapping up his players for taking a charge and getting that and pumped up on the bench. Um, so just the level of quick turnarounds is it's just so fun to watch. Yeah. And you've seen him do it to Davion too, where he came out mm-hmm. and gave Davion that bear hug at like half court. Um, it, yeah, it's just really cool to see. So we'll take that and we'll lead into our next point, And that is defensive ratings. And for anyone that listens to this, they, they know what my big thing is just be average, right? Like just be mm-hmm. average and, and you're, you're halfway to getting to where you want to go. So I'll let you take it away with what you found. Yeah. So the Kings have climbed to 22nd, uh, the 22nd ranked defense, which I mean, they weren't in the very bottom for much of the year, but they've been around the 27, 25 range. So they just keep going up a little bit, which is great to see. But what really stood out to me was over the last five games, they've had a 109.8 defensive rating which if you did that in the season rankings, that would rank as the seventh best defense. So, and don't forget that's against the Suns, the Hawks, the Celtics, um, the Pacers, and I forget the fifth team, Uh, but some really good offensive teams. Um, Oh, was that Memphis? I think so. That's what popped in my head too. Okay. Yeah. So five pretty good offensive teams. So to have that defensive rating, average and just see the improvement just if they keep climbing little by little i don't think it's much to ask for them to be top 15 at least yeah i want to say even looked up in the last 10 they were 18th so again Mm -hmm. like even we're at 20 games so half of those games right they at least were average so to keep to keep trending that way um but i think that comes to the point too where we had said that their offensive game was kind of off for a little bit, but, and that they were going to need their defense to improve, to have a shot. And I think that's why those games actually stayed close. And we felt like they had a shot to win, which they, Mm -hmm. they very much did. And and they could have won those games. And to me, I felt outside of Boston, it was more mental mistakes that they made that kind of cost them those, um, those other losses to Phoenix and um, Atlanta more than anything else, it was kind of, they shot themselves in the own, their own foot at times. Um, so it was nice to see that, as you mentioned, uh, with that defensive rating that they're keeping themselves in games and, and giving themselves a shot to win. All right. So now that you gave, um, those defensive rating numbers, you know, that, that have improved. And I think, um, so you said they're at what eighth right now. So basketball index just put out uh, this afternoon um, and their uh, Darko ranking, which accounts for teams, resting players, COVID injuries, things like that. Um, and then they take your offensive numbers and defensive numbers and, and do their algorithms and whatnot and, and put it out. And so they had actually the Kings playing the fourth hardest schedule and then in the midst of that, playing the fourth hardest schedule um, based on the uh, tw- um, 20 teams that the Kings have played, they were in the grouping of the fifth hardest defenses in the league and the eighth hardest offenses in the league as a group. And so 
the numbers that the Kings are putting up offensively and defensively against seemingly, you know, in their rankings, the fourth hardest schedule with top 10 offenses and defenses based on the complete teams that, that the Kings are playing where they're for the most part, getting full strength teams just goes to show how good they are playing at the, at this point. So the Kings have the fifth best offense in the league right now. They've dropped down a few spots, which is fine um, to fifth against the fifth hardest groups of defense of anyone in the NBA. That just and it's only going to get harder, stat. right? Mm-hmm. It, it, it's wild that what they're doing and then this road trip they have coming up is not going to be easy. So if they can keep this up trending wise, like you have to feel good about, about where this team is, is going. Mm-hmm. And we've seen it the last few games, even last night there, they hit a bunch of threes, but it seems like they still could. They're not making as many open shots as it feels like they should make. Um, so it feels like their offense still could hit on a higher cylinder and be even more offensive firepower, which just is wild to think about. Like, how can this offense get even better? But they can't. Right. Well, and then even just thinking they're only 20 games into playing this style with each other. And as chemistry keeps building, familiarity, you know, just basketball knowledge in general of, of cutting and and the styles that Brown and Jay Triano are trying to get them to play, it just seems like there is still more, like you said, that you can get out of this group. Yeah, and especially with a player like Sabonis. Um, I was talking about it with D'Lo and, K- D'Lo and uh, James Ham actually, the other day. I'm just so used to saying D'Lo and KC. Uh, about how Monk's connection with Sabonis is growing so much. And we're going to see that with guys all around this roster is their connections are just going to grow stronger, especially with how much passing they do. Uh, They're going to learn each other's spots and know who likes to go where and who's going to cut when And the familiarity will get there. And like you're saying, they'll get even, even better. Hopefully I don't see why not. I mean, that, but, Based on the numbers and what you're seeing and it only being 20 games and I we don't feel like guys are playing outside themselves, mm-hmm. it seems like it, it would be trending up in the long, you mm-hmm. know, in, in a long view. So, yeah, definitely agree there. Um, okay, so next, um, I know you wanted to mention Sabonis and uh, some numbers that you found with him. Yeah, so just a little thing. Um, but Sabonis is very sneakily over. He's made six of his last 12 three-pointers. I think it's over nine games. So he's not taking that many threes per game, but he's making them recently at a 50% clip. And he can pretty much get a wide open three anytime he wants. Uh, I don't remember. I think it was last game. Miles Turner wasn't even guarding him on the perimeter. Turner was in drop coverage and just kind of roaming around the paint. And Sabonis was just standing out there. So if teams are going to sag off of him that much from three, and if he can just make one a game, maybe two, um, with two, three, four attempts, maybe three-ish, it's just opens up the offense even more um, and kind of unlocks that hidden 
potential um, that came from either him or Metu from the five spot. Yeah, and I'm trying to find it. I could be wrong, but I want to say that he was shooting. It's at thirty-two percent in non-corner threes, which again, you're you're trending up, right? In which to me, it's funny, his percentage is so bad from the corner. I mean, it only, it might be oh of two or five or something like that, but those are normally the easier shots that, that everyone says it's, you know, it's less distance, but he seems to really like the top, the top of that three point line, um, that, that straightaway, but two two from the corner, seven of 22, uh, from above the break. And that's the thing. The whole team seems to love the above the break three. They're not a good corner three point shooting team. I don't think that even regardless of who we have here, I don't think they usually are, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, let me find it. Um, but the way Sabonis set screens, I mean, they're Mm -hmm. getting most of their shots right at the top there and they're hitting them. So keep doing that. And yeah, well, actually the Kings are 37.4. It's about middle of the pack for corner threes. but yeah, above the break, they are at 41.4, uh, okay. which is fourth best in the league. All right. So they're just crushing it from, from that top spot from, from deep. So Sabonis, it's not just the three-point shooting, but he's also just shooting well pretty much from everywhere. Um, so again, his free throws, he's at 74.3% on the season but at that's after the rough stretch to start i no longer feel nervous when he goes to the free throw line it seems like that work that he put in in the offseason is really paying off in multiple areas on the floor i feel like if you were to look at those numbers outside of that you know maybe just those first four or whatever it is he's probably shooting high 70s low 80s i would think at least just based on I feel like there's a handful of misses that he's had at, at this point. I, again, I could be wrong, but I feel like I'm not seeing many misses at the line from him. Um, it looks clean and he's doing like Doug Christie always says the repetition and doing the same thing over and over. It, it very much looks like he has that down and it looks clean coming off. It does. Um, and just, I mean, you see it with this three point shot too, just the form is all different and it's starting to look, each shot looks the same. Um, so it's just such a crucial, especially with how much he gets to the free throw line. Well, he should get to the free throw line more, it seems like. Um, but even with how much he does, it's such a crucial aspect to continue to get better. Yeah. Well, I mean, and then you think about, like last game, I think he only had 23 minutes and yes, there was a blowout, but he could have even had more, but because of the the bad foul calls, um, I feel like that Brown needs like two challenges just for him uh, during a game because he gets the craziest calls. And it, to me, it's more frustrating that a coach keeps having to think about, do I have to waste a challenge to save this guy's fouls to keep him on the court? Or do I need to save it for an end of game scenario that might happen that could cost us a win or a loss that we've seen both happen? And it it's just frustrating that if you're winning these challenges off of bad, like legitimately not even close foul mm-hmm. calls, that they should get another. Like yeah. they're a, a get a plus one, get it back. <laughs> 
Yeah. Can we just make that rule change now? Like we don't have to wait until the end of this yeah. season. That it just seems like one. his numbers could be even better if right. he wasn't being forced mm-hmm. off the court by bad fouls. Okay. And then um, were there any Fox numbers you want to put it or just like an overall Fox for, you know, the year of, I want to say we were talking about this and he just seemingly through the first 20 games is having a career best across the board. And you're seeing it in the wins and losses as well. He is. And it's, I know a lot of people kind of wanting him to do a little bit more in the recent games, but what's amazing to me about his year is how high his percentages are everywhere. Um, So it's gone down a little, but even with going down, he's still shooting 72% in the restricted area. In the non-paint restricted area, he's at 55.7. He's shooting 47% from the mid-range. Um, and then um, 33% from corners. And again, he loves the above the breakthrough, 40% from there. So he's just getting... I know he said it himself. He can get whatever shot he wants and he's making everything count. He doesn't seem to be taking that many bad shots, which is nice. And really a theme of the whole team is they don't take bad shots. But what's impressed me about Fox is not just the raw output, but the efficiency that comes with it. Yeah. And I want to say even yesterday, I know early we were kind of like, you know, where is he hasn't taken a shot yet? But it was almost like he was letting his guys cook at the beginning that were working Mm -hmm. and again, was letting it work. Was it forcing anything on himself? Like he has said before, I will give up my stuff as long as it wins and it's working and that's the end result. But I feel like in it might have been the end of the second and then that third quarter, it was like, okay, it's my time. Like when it got close, right. I think it got down to 12 and then he took over. And so Mm -hmm. it was, it's almost like too, that we're having to learn and he's seeing that he can bid his time. Like he said, I can get it what I want. And he saw it and was like, okay, it's getting like, don't let them get within a striking distance. It was like, okay, we lost our lead a little bit. Now, now I got to put my, you know, foot down on the gas and, and then it was it was over like after oh, his shake and i mean that was oh, and then was so pretty <laughs> so pretty and then the the last shot of the third quarter where he uh went mm-hmm. against uh Nemard at the rim and it was just like eh, like i mean it, yep. it was perfect and so it, it, it very much it was like, like he, was... he conserved his energy and was like all right i'm taking mm-hmm. you out now <laughs> yeah it looked like he was playing pissed off especially after that call um the offensive foul call that he got against Tyrese. Yeah. He, I loved how he got the delay of game. It's almost like a free technical that he got. <laughs> and just his aggression right after that was like, okay, fine. You want to call that? Then take this. And just for him to put the team on his back when that momentum is starting to swing, it's just what you need from is what hopefully is going to make him an all-star. Yeah. And there was another tweet I saw out today where um, it was from NBA math and they have their own statistics, statistics and pull stuff. And they had both um, that as of today, if they were pulling it off of their numbers, uh, Sabonis and Fox would both be bench all-stars based on the numbers that they've put up through the first 20 games. So again, I know we can be overly critical and 
as fans and what we're seeing based on recent games. But when you just think about the 20 games as a whole and what they're doing, like these guys are putting up all-star numbers. And so um, there's going to be waves. We know there's going to be ebb and flows. And so, um, right, you want to minimize that as much as you can, but but keep going, right, at least in those directions. But the other thing I want to say is I looked up on cleaning the glass today. And they had the Kings, um, based on all the numbers that they've put up so far through these 20 games, their win expectancy was 11.3 and they have 11 wins. So they're, they're close, right? Their 82 win expectancy, if they stay at these numbers, is 46.1. And that's just if they Ooh. stay currently at these numbers, 46.1. Oh, that's, I think, higher than a lot of people came into the season with goals and aspirations. And then with for the Kings to be kind of exactly where they should, we've seen time and time again how the Kings lose the games they quote-unquote should win. So the fact that they're getting those wins, I don't think lost to a team that they, I guess, should have beat this year, have they? Which isn't the best phrase, isn't my favorite, but I mean, no, you know I know what you mean. mean. And I think, I don't, I know if anything, I can see people throwing in like maybe the first Portland game, you had the Clipper game with mm-hmm. some injuries. But even then, I would say it's more so like we talked about before. They were ahead in those games and they hurt themselves. It was more so mm-hmm. like you felt like the Kings beat themselves rather than those opposing teams beating themselves. And I think we felt that same way kind of in Atlanta. And then Devin Booker just went off against the sun. So I'm not even going to yeah. go there. But other than that, I, with you, I can't think of anything off the top of my head outside of those that I'm like, oh, they really should have mm-hmm. had that. So yeah, I I'm with you. And that's where with as hard as this stretch is coming up, that if they can stay afloat during that, then we go back to what we're saying is theoretically, if they are, should win the games are supposed to win there should be a slew of W's coming after it's a long season. Again, we don't Mm -hmm. know, you know, what tomorrow could bring, but looking ahead, if they just do the status quo of what they're doing right now, based on these numbers, that's, that's what cleaning the glass is projecting. So 46 would be so nice. Would be wild. (laughs) The city would just lose it. It would, it would. So um, if we can just keep trending, you know, like we say, keep trending in the right direction and mm-hmm. and s- stay afloat where you need to, um, keep playing the right way. That's, yep. and I don't think Mike Brown will let them play the wrong way, which and with true so many people who can play, if someone starts to just go to someone else, that ability with their depth, where if yeah. Brown isn't happy, he'll find someone who does what he wants. Yeah, and even like these, this last stretch has been without a, a Trey Lyles, right? Who mm-hmm. they have come to rely on. You've really seen other good. guys stepping up. You've seen KZ come back and and when is has been called upon step up. Terrence Davis again when is called upon is stepping up. So again, it's nice to see guys that even if they're not in the rhythm of of their playing time, that when their number is called, they're being ready and and are bought again buying into. When my number is called, I'm going to do whatever is asked of me and let's keep it going. 
Yeah. I mean, because KZ even is one of the first off the bench. Like he's not pouting. He's not sitting there. I started. Now I'm not seeing anything. Like he's out there dancing and loving it when the, when they're going crazy on the bench. All right. So the Kings, we've seen that they've had some when they are up against the back to backs or too many games and too many lights. Like most teams, they they get some tired legs and and might struggle a little bit. But to me, that is almost even more impressive that in those three games and four nights that they were putting up the kind of defensive numbers they were putting up, which at the time I did not realize kudos to them. Now we have the back-to-back coming up this weekend, uh, Saturday, they fly to um, LA for the Clippers and then back at home for Chicago. So if they can keep up, like we were saying, those numbers, the Clippers, we're not sure if they're going to have, Paul Kawhi, I know Kennard was out last game too. Um, if they're going to have their full team and then Chicago, I never know with them. They're kind of struggling too. And so these would be two games to take advantage of before you go off on that hellish road trip um, to the East Coast. Oh, they're going to be gone for so long. <laughs> I think it's the first half of the month and then they're home for the second half. I will say I'm a little bitter yeah. because I'll be in Denver for Christmas with my family out there and they play the Kings while Denver plays the Kings while I'm in Denver. And I'm like, why can't it be the opposite? Cause I totally would have <laughs> gone to those games there. Um, yeah. I was like, of course you play that team just, you know, um, mm-hmm. switch it up. But uh, so I thought that was pretty funny, but yeah, it's rude um, of the schedule makers to not keep you in mind. When it they is. put the schedule together. It is. All right. Thanks as always, Will, for, for coming on and giving us our um, stats knowledge. Uh, we always appreciate you. Um, if you want to end uh, end it here and let anybody know again where they can find you, whether it be on Twitter, um, ESPN 1320, take it away. Yeah, thanks. So, yeah, find me on Twitter, uh, Will Z Stats, uh, Will underscore Zimmerly. Um, and I've been doing the foray into writing. So, each game I write a preview that goes on ESPN1320.net and just kind of dig into what the Kings have been doing lately and the opponent and just try and shed a little light on what the game might look like. So check out the game previews if you want to really dig into the numbers and impress your friends with some knowledge. All right. Well, thanks again. And uh, everybody, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week and we'll talk about the next two games. But as always, go Kings. 